Well, hey there. Thanks so much for joining us on the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If these messages have blessed your life, go ahead and subscribe by clicking the subscribe button inside the podcast app. And if your life has been impacted by this ministry, would you consider supporting it financially so that we can continue to love God, love people, and prove it? You can give by visiting hope615.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you are blessed through today's message. Uh, this is going to be a really special day, and I want to give you some uh, introduction to help you understand kind of what God's been doing. Matthew, are you back there somewhere? Come on out here, brother. He's back there. There he, there he is. Okay, yeah. Uh, I want to introduce you guys to Matthew Gray. Now, if you sit on this side of the sanctuary, uh, I just call the gym a sanctuary. Is that you know. acceptable? Okay. But if you sit on this side of our church, you probably know Matt and his wife, Lauren, who was just up here singing. And they have three awesome kids. Uh, I met Matt and Lauren about a year ago. And Matt told me his testimony, and it completely resonated with me. And then the Lord brought them to Hope Fellowship Church. By the way, I know that we have a ton of guests here today. We do. We're here to support you and encourage you, which I think is phenomenal. Thank you for being here. But God has called Matt to plant a church. And so as we begin to talk about it, I told him about my journey in church planting And some of you, listen to me, church, some of you in this room, God used you to be a part of the core group of Hope Fellowship Church over eight years ago now. And so Matt and I talked and we prayed together. And I thought, you know, the the church planting network he's working through, they said, Matt and Lauren, just get involved in a church as you begin to develop your core group leading up to the launch of your church. So we don't know the exact time that that's going to happen. But he's really listening to the Lord. And so what Matt and Lauren are doing, they're coming to church here at Hope, while they also develop roots in an area of Nashville. I've heard it called three different things. I've heard it called South Nashville. That's Some people kind of know what that is. Yeah. I've heard it called Brentiok, Brentwood, Antioch coming together. And then really, the truth is, just, just kind of north of Lin- Lenox Village area. Just in that, yeah. Yeah, in that's that kind of the area they're targeting to plant a new church, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that lives might be transformed. So Matt and I talked, and uh, here's how this whole thing went. It was kind of like, you know, I looked back, and there were many people that spoke into my life and encouraged me, and God used people, and I said, Matt, it could very well be that there might be some people at Hope Fellowship Church who would believe God might be calling them to help you in what you're doing. Yeah. And he kind of looked at me like, bro, are you serious? <laughs> like, but yes, we, we talk about this with money. We say we can't outgive God, right? So why would we think that the Lord wouldn't use us, that there might be some of you in this room that would help Matt and Lauren as they take these steps of faith? And it just excites me that Hope can then be a part of helping plant another church right here in Middle Tennessee. So with that being said, I asked Matt to come share his testimony today, to share God's word with us today, just so you could better know him. And you kind of know Lauren, who is up here singing. But uh, I want to encourage you to get to know this awesome family. And, and I want to pray for Matt before we move into this time today with him, him leading us through, through the word. God, thank you for Matt. And I believe with all of my heart, God, the journey set before him is, is absolutely your will. And so God, as you prepare him and you equip him, God, and you've given him an incredible wife, and a family that is walking alongside him in this, God, I pray that you would overwhelm him with your faithfulness, with your provision, 
with, with new people, God, to help be a part of this core group to see a new church birthed in our city. God, there are so many people who don't know you as Savior and Lord. And God, I pray that this new church and this ministry would overwhelm all of us, God, as we see your kingdom grown and expanded. So thank you for Matt. Thank you for his faithfulness. God, speak through him today as he now shares some of his testimony. And God, the truth from your holy word. Bless him now. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Y'all give it up for Matt. All right? Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. I got a lot of stuff here. I don't know. Get it all parsed out for you. Well, good morning. It's so exciting to be with you, to share with you a little bit of our journey, uh, what we feel God has called us to do and how he has called us to plant a church. Again, wherever you want to call it, Brineach, Lynx Village, uh, we'll, we'll figure out the name there. But I want to start on March 22nd. I want to take you back to a weekend where I did something I had never done. You know, for those of you who have been here, you've heard Kent's story, um, and we heard it as we were first getting here about how he spent time away, and he went and secluded himself um, to see and, and sort of process through the calling that God had placed on him to plant a church. And see, we, yeah, I, I took a seminary class um, that was uh, by a guy named Dr. Don Whitney. There's some guys here in the room, maybe some ladies that have had that class, that, that we had to do that for the class. It was like four hours of, of solitude, but I'd never done anything like a weekend, but you know, we had gotten to the point where my family and I are wrestling with this calling to plant a church for the past several years, and, 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 and gosh, let me just be honest, it has not been easy. It's not been easy, and I, I feel like when God calls you to something, in my mind at least, we want it to be like the Wizard of Oz, right? Beautiful, boom, this is here, you're calling, great, and then all of a sudden you see, oh, there's a yellow brick road in front of you. All you have to do is walk along the road. That's it. That's a simple thing. Maybe you might meet some scary monsters, maybe some flying monkeys along the way, I don't know, and they might slow you down, but here's the path laid out very clearly in front of you. I felt like when I got to that weekend that all my bricks of that yellow brick road had been dug up. And not only had they been dug up, they had been scattered, and I didn't know where they were. And I felt like I was just worn out. And I felt like it was my responsibility to figure out, okay, how do I gather all these bricks back? Not only do I gather them back, but then how do I lay them out to, to figure out this path? And the truth is, maybe there's some of you in the room that have felt that. Maybe it's not calling to church planning, but, but you know God has given you an assignment. God is giving you a calling, and he has given you clear direction. This is what I've got for you. This is what I've laid on your heart to do. And I wish I could say that, that once we receive that calling, that it just sort of blossoms in front of us, and it's just this easy journey and this easy path, but it's not. We want to be met with fanfare. We want to be met with clarity. And we, and we get that in pieces. But, but I really believe that, that God does that for us, not out of like, sort of a mean way or out of here, I'm going to dangle this in front of you. But what he does is he does that so that we will rely on him and not rely on ourselves. Because if I can see the path in front of me, I quit looking to him. I just look, okay, I'm supposed to just do this. But if I have to trust him to even give me the path, to even bring the bricks back together, my faith and my guidance is in him and not in necessarily a particular thing or a particular mission. Honestly, I felt like I was doing something wrong. Everywhere I'd go, I was like, man, I'm supposed to be getting a lot of wins here. And I felt like there were just loss after loss after loss. And Lauren could see this. And so when we got to this moment and we got to this time, um, she just said, look, 
you need to go. I think it was just her trying to get me out. Just get, gosh, I can't even do this. No, she wasn't. She discerned and she could see, man, we've heard Kent talk about this. We've heard other people talk about just time alone with the Lord. Why don't you go and why don't you do it and let him straighten all this out and you quit trying to figure it out for yourself? I was worn out. I was questioning everything. I was weary. And so let's pause my story there. And if you have your Bibles or your device or whatever you're looking at, let's all turn together to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we see the story begin where Jesus himself is weary. Jesus himself is worn out. And the Lord, many, many years, honestly, before he even placed on my heart the calling to church planting, he, he gave me this passage of Scripture. And it was just this solid rock that I could always go back to and see a clear path of how he loved people and how he just presented them with the gospel. And then as the church planting calling and thing began to bud and groom and grow in my heart, he kept pushing me back to John 4, pushing me back to John 4. So that's what we're going to look at. Today, So we're going to read together, and it'll be on the screen behind me as well, the first 29 verses. Now, that's a lie. We're not going to exegete all of them in the passage, so you don't have to worry about lunch or getting hungry. But I think we need to hear the whole story in order to see sort of the tidbits and the picture that we're going to see inside of it. So would you read with me John chapter 4, verses 1 through 29. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and he went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her because his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it from himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said, still confused, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water again. And then Jesus said, go call your husband, and then you can come back here. Uh, I don't have a husband, she answered. And he said, you've answered correctly. I don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. So what you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Your Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with this woman, yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went into town. And he told the people, she told the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And there is so much here that we could take months to unpack, and we're not going to do that. But I do want to see and show you how God has used John 4 as a basis for me for that growing calling in my heart for church planting. It's interesting, I have some friends who are missionaries, um, and they're back. We actually had them at our table this week, hadn't seen them in three and a half years. They've been missionaries in Central Asia. And they're back on furlough, and we spent some time, and, and he put it this way. He said, on the most basic level, church planting is sharing the gospel. Now, of course, we know there are other things entailed to that, but on the most basic core level, church planting is sharing the gospel. And where do we see that in the text? First, we got to look and see that Jesus was worn out. He was tired. He was thirsty. He just wanted to rest. He was ministering to multitudes, physically exalted. And here comes this woman. And notice that they made note in the text that it said at a certain time, it was about noon. Why is that important? Because it is not typical for a Samaritan woman to be coming to the well at this time of the day. And there's one main factor that caused her to risk breaking that cultural norm to come at that day, and it was shame. And as we saw in the bottom of the text as we were reading, it was shame of the life she had lived, but also shame in the life that she was currently living. And she gets to the well, and then Jesus looks at her directly and says, woman, Give me a drink. And we see in verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jesus here is breaking two major cultural and social norms. One, men and women would never be seen in public having a conversation. So that's the first one. The second one is, as she has already said, it's a Jew talking to a Samaritan. And there is long history, and you can go back and read back in 2 Kings, and as the, the, the time was folding, um, the Jews hated Samaritans, and there's reasons why. But I want to put it in perspective. It would sort of be like, for those literary scholars in the room, sort of the Capulets talking to the Montagues, right? Or maybe a Vol fan talking to a Bama fan. Worst, a Cardinal fan talking to a Cubs fan. Go Cards. All right. Worst of the worst a Laverne fan talking to a Smyrna fan. I mean, even though Laverne hadn't won in like 20 years, but go figure. But let's not miss the example Jesus is giving us here. Jesus was willing to cross any barrier to pursue, to pursue her and give her the good news. And I pose this as a question for those of us who are in Christ, are we? Are we willing to set aside what is culturally appropriate, socially normal, to share the gospel with those in need? Look at verse 10. 
Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Immediately, Jesus shifts the conversation. It went from him addressing a physical need, I need a drink of water, to immediately he plants the gospel seed. And he starts talking about her spiritual need. And she didn't even know it yet. But he starts talking about, hey, you have a spiritual need. And my second point this morning would be, if we are in Christ, we have been called to plant spiritual seeds by sharing the gospel. And I want us to be clear, that is a calling to every believer, not just pastors, not just church planters, not just ministry leaders. That is our calling. If you have been saved, if God has saved you and you are in Christ, you have received the calling to share the gospel. But I also want to sort of ease the pressure and say that that we have been called to share, not to convince or or convert. See, that's the Spirit's job. And I think so, t- so many times we get caught up in, am I saying the exact right thing? If I say this, it's going to turn them off, or maybe they've heard it before. Is it really going to resonate with them? That, that, that's off your shoulders. It is our responsibility to share the good news of the gospel. It's the Spirit's job to change the heart and convert. So God has called us to faithfully plant the seed by sharing the gospel. Now, in the next few verses, we see a back and forth between Jesus talking about her spiritual need, the Samaritan woman talking about her physical need. And look in verse 11. It says, sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket. And this well is deep. So where do you get this living water? And here Jesus understands, okay, I got to get a little more. I got to give her a little more to bite on. Okay. So that's what we see in, in verse 13 and 14. And he gives the explanation Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up for him with eternal life. And it's so interesting here that throughout the Gospels, we see this pattern. Of course, we see Jesus doing miracles. We see him healing people. We see him doing so many things to their physical bodies and so many ways that he ministers them in that way. But we always see his primary concern is their spiritual need. Meeting physical needs is absolutely vital to the ministry of the church. Mercy ministries is important. It is a pathway to the gospel. And we got to be clear, it's not a bait and switch. Like we can genuinely love someone and we can genuinely meet their physical needs without sort of, again, as I said earlier, dangling in front of them. Like, well, if you'll say this prayer or if you'll make this decision, then we'll really, no. We need to be about meeting physical needs. And there needs to be a genuine desire and goal to see lives transform. Why? Third point, because meeting a physical need is important. But meeting a spiritual need is eternal. It's eternal. Look at verse 15 with me. Sir, the woman said, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come here and draw it again. And he's, she's re- realizing, wait a minute, I don't have to hide. I don't have to be so shameful. I don't have to put myself out there and try to go at this odd time of the day. You just give me this water. I don't have to come back here anymore. Again, she's still thinking about herself and still thinking about that physical need she has. But then things shift. And in verse 16, Jesus says, go call your husband and come back here. 
Jesus knows she's not understanding, so he begins proving he is who he is saying he is. Again, we need to be very careful and notate the interaction of the order of the interaction that Jesus is saying here. Notice that Jesus didn't go and confront her sin first and then offer the living water. I think that's hugely important. He offers the living water first and then he talks about her sin. Why? This is our hope. Because there is no life of sin that can keep or disqualify you and me from the grace and mercy of Jesus. Nothing. So if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but you don't know my past. You don't know the decisions I've made. No, listen, his grace is sufficient. And it is big enough to cover. If all of us in the room took all of the sins we've ever committed, now think about that, probably millions of sins. That's not a stretch. And we put all of those sins on one person and kind of see the resemblance here. If we put all of them on one person and say that one person committed all of those sins, Jesus would say, I'm enough. I'm enough to cover that. Verse 17, she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus responds to her, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband. She didn't make excuses for her sin. She didn't try to cover it up. She was open and honest. Yeah, you've called out my sin. This is what it is. And unfortunately, and I'm not speaking for hope particularly, I'm just saying when I say the church, I mean just sort of the westernized church as a whole. Um, I think we've created this culture that says you're not welcome if you're broken. I think we've created this culture that says you got to clean up first. Get your act together. Stop sinning in that way. Stop having those type of tendencies or stop having those type of temptations first and then you're welcome in. But what I think is a result of that is that we primarily have forgotten the grace that we received. We've twisted it to somehow say we deserve God's forgiveness. You know, he needs us on his team. And what that does is it causes us to look down at those who have not believed. We somehow think we're better than they are, that we figured out Jesus and they can just get their act together and they too then can figure out Jesus. Guys, that is false. It is false. We don't deserve the grace we have been given if we are in Christ. We don't deserve his mercy. We have not earned it. We have not done anything to deserve it. And how dare we have this air of elitism that says, act like, eh, we're good. We don't have anything to repent for. Those sins are forgotten, and they are. But the point is that we don't look at those who have not yet received God's grace as if they're not good enough to receive it either. Guys, that is not the message of the gospel. In fact, when you look at scripture, that was the message of the Pharisees. And we see how well it worked out for them. The world is not looking, hear me, the world is not looking for perfection, Perfection shoved down our throats every single day. Every ad that comes across our feed, every commercial we see, if we haven't paid for the, the souped up Hulu version, we still have to sit there and wait. Gosh, maybe the billboards that we see. Everything we see says perfection, perfection. Here's what perfection looks like. The world is tired of hearing the message that you've got to be perfect. In fact, they can sniff it out even in a second. Guys, they're looking for something real. They're looking for people to connect with that says, I too am hurting. 
I too am crippled. I am not perfect, nor can I or will ever be. But there is one who was, who is, and who is to come. And he knows our every weakness. He knows our every sin. He knows we're not perfect. And even in our most flawed and sinful moment, he looked at us with love, not condemnation. And he died for us and he rose from the grave for us and he welcomes us in. And not only did he die for us, which would have been enough. He said, I came and was perfect. And now you who were completely imperfect get to put on my perfection. We get credit for his perfect life. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message that we take to a world who is begging for an answer that says, I don't have to get it all together yet. I don't have to be perfect. Skip down to verse 25. It says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. I mean, we've been told that we live in the Bible belt of the South. So the reality is that the people that we have interaction with probably have heard about Jesus. And I'll be honest, there are, there are people in uh, Laverne, Smyrna, Murfreesboro, Nashville, they've heard about who Jesus is. They've heard maybe, a, a, let's say, a filtered version or a skeptic. They've heard an element of this Jesus guy and who he is and what he's about. But what does verse 26 say? Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Guys, transformation happens not when we hear about Jesus, but when we meet him. We can hear about him all day long, but when we have met the Savior, we begin to have the same understanding that this woman has had. Transformation then happens. And we see this. Look at verse 28. Then the woman said, or then the woman, she left her water jar and went into town and told the people. Verse 29, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, I put this on the slide for you to see sort of a before and after picture. But let's remember, back in the early part of the story, there were two reasons that this woman was coming to the well. One, very practical reason, she was coming to draw water. Two, her motive for coming was out of shame. And so because of her life, because of the sins that she could not get off her back, she was willing to risk being off the cultural norm, going to the well at a, spe a separate time, and even going by herself, which was out of the question anyway. Typically, the women would come together. But when she met the Messiah, once she realized who Jesus is, both of those things didn't matter anymore. Because look at her response. One, she left her water jar. It was the whole reason she was coming to the well. But second, and this is a vital one, she ran back into the community that she was originally hiding from to share the good news with them. That is the power of meeting Jesus, that our shame is taken away. Doesn't mean our sin. Look, notice she didn't run home. And I think that's vitally important too. She didn't go home and go, oh, I got to figure out how to get my home life all together. And then I can go share to the gospel. 
So for all of you Enneagram ones in here, take a deep breath, as Drew said, do it earlier. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have the perfect message. You just need to know this is what transformed my life and that is what I'm called to give you. And we see that in her reaction. So I started today telling you about the weekend that I took. And I brought some pictures with me, so I want you to see kind of where I was. And I was down in Fall Creek Falls, and, and so I, I rented a cabin and stayed in the cabin. And, and it was hard. Let me tell you, it was middle of March madness, and I didn't have the TV on. I kept the iPad on, you know. I did, Lauren and I had this agreement that I would at least call her and let her know I'm off the trail, I'm safe, I didn't see a rattlesnake or a bear, everything's okay. So there's a, if, you, if you've been to Fall Creek Falls, there's a trail called the Cable Trail. And basically they run this threaded metal cable down this trail. And it's, it's about 88 feet drop um, in about a half a mile, so it's fairly, fairly steep. I mean, this is what you get when you get down there. And I sat there for several hours talking with God, honestly just sharing my frustration, soaking in his creation and just listening. Now, waterfalls have always been my thing. Um, I enjoy hiking. I enjoy being on the trail. But if we're not going to a waterfall, if that's not our end goal, then let's find one that we can. I mean, they've just always been there. And I brought my journal with me to just give you a sort of a picture um, of what the Lord was doing during my time there. And so I was journaling and, and, and I just was ex writing down what I was experiencing and seeing. And part of my journal said, it was so loud. The water rushing off the water was, or off the rock was so loud, but yet it was so quiet all at the same time. And so I got up from there, um, and I went and climbed up, you can go to the next one, to the top of this gorge. So you can be down in the bottom, but you can take the trail and be over on the top of it looking down. And I just sat there, and I just watched. And I was just praying and just, just reeling in God's creation and just this beauty, just soaking it all in. And at the end of my journal entry from here, it says, now I'm sitting on top of the cliff above where I just was, and every angle gives new insight to the beauty of this place. And as beautiful it is, though, it's so beautiful to look at, but as beautiful it is, is to look at, the sound is still what captivates me. So I stayed there for a while, and you know, I was just praying and journaling and all of that, and so then I got up and Felt like I wanted to, to move on. There was another fall that I wanted to go to. There was a couple miles down. So I packed up my gear, head out on the trail. Um, and in a route, I just started having these stream of the clearest thoughts that I really felt like I'd ever have. Just this stream of consciousness and this stream of understanding that I knew very quickly, these aren't my thoughts. This, this isn't me. And so what I did is I hopped off the trail, I got my journal out again, and I put it up here so you can read it with me. But this is what I felt and what I was hearing the Lord saying. Whether it's a small waterfall or one that is enormous in size, when you are close to either, the same sound is coming from both. 
So don't look at the size of what you're doing or whether or not, as to whether or not it's successful. Just look to the sound, the sound of the gospel going forth, the sound of disciples being made, the sound of my glory being shed to the ends of the earth. If you are participating in those things, no matter the size, I hear the sound. And I just sat there and just soaked in the grace that the Lord was giving me in that moment. That he knew my heart. He knew my struggle. He knew the, the questions that I was having about church planting and the way things were looking that were different than I thought they were looking. But not only that, he used what I had wrote just minutes before just in my own physical understanding of saying, I love to look at it, but it's the sound that captivates me. And then he takes that point and uses it to show me who he is. It was a beautiful, beautiful, overwhelming moment. And then I got back on the trail, headed back to the waterfall. It started happening again. Okay, I realize these thoughts are coming through. They're not me. I'm sitting down, hopped off the trail, grabbed my journal again. And this is the second part of what the Spirit was saying. And don't worry about attracting people. People are attracted to the sound. Just like the waterfalls in nature are where people go, they will come to me by the way of the sound of my glory being displayed. And just like on the trail, you hear the sound before you see the waterfall. So just keep making the sound. Be faithful in making the sound, and people will hear it and follow it to the stream. That's what God's called me to do, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep making the sound. And as a church, as we build a core team and as we continue to share the gospel, we are going to focus on two primary things, discipleship and sharing the gospel. And to shorten it down, it says we're going to grow and we're going to go. We're going to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is. We're going to grow in understanding who our neighbors are. We're going to grow in being out of the mindset that we have to be perfect and then we're going to go. just going to complete, com completely keep proclaiming the good news of the gospel and watch Jesus build his church. And I think, yeah, musicians, you guys can come on in. When we hear John 4, I want us to be careful to understand who we are in that story. And whether you're a believer already or whether you have yet to believe, both of us in that category, we are all the Samaritan woman. And that's who we align with in this story. Because we've all tried to isolate. We've all tried to hide. We've all tried to avoid dealing with the sin in our lives. And the truth is, we can't deal with it. There's no amount of hiding or dodging or denying that can take away the shame of the sin that we have carried. But the good news is, hear me, we don't have to. We ourselves don't have to carry that. The gospel says that there is one who came, who lived that perfect life, who died, who rose from the grave, and he gave us his perfect life to cover our shame and our sin forever.
So this morning, we're going to enter into a time of response. And I want us to reflect on the good news that we've just heard. And, you know, maybe today your eyes have been opened for the first time. You see that there is a Savior who takes away your sin and your shame. And during, as we sing this last song, there are going to be people over here on this side of the building, on this side of the gym, that are ready and excited and willing to pray with you about what that looks like and what's going on in your heart. But for those of us who have professed Christ, we need this reminder that Jesus has taken our sin and our shame. And many times we try to step back and do it ourselves, but we have to be reminded he has done this for us. And what we are called to do as believers in Christ is just as the woman did and run to the community with the good news of the gospel. Because in John chapter 4, verse 39, it says this, Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said and how she testified. Let's rest in that this morning. Well, thanks again for listening to the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If you're interested in becoming more connected at Hope Fellowship Church, please visit hope615.com slash get connected.